Well, have you ever um, convinced yourself to purchase something? Have you ever convinced yourself to buy something? To where you're like, you know, I need, I need something. This I need this sort of thing. Maybe it's a maybe it's a certain car, or maybe an, maybe an outfit, or you know, maybe uh, ladies a new purse, or or guys maybe a, a, a new you know power tool. It, it, it could be to where you convince yourself that hey, I deserve this. I deserve this. Or, or maybe you, you face something in your life, like something that's, uh, maybe you received some sad news or, or maybe someone's kind of you know, rubbed you the wrong way and, and you're kind of facing something. So I need, I need a, a, a gallon of ice cream <laughs> and I'm going to eat it all. And whatever. It could be something, either you deserve it or something's happened in your life. And, and that sort of possession can have power over us. We, we get home with that object that we were so driven to buy no longer has the power to give us joy. We think it does. It may give us joy for a season. It's kind of like a kid who plays more with the box than the toy. You've ever had children do that? We've had kids that do that. We give them this, this toy and they open it out of the box and, and they end up playing the, with a box more than the toy. And, and it's like, well, you know, you have this toy that you can play with, and, but you're playing with a box, then something new catches our eye, and with it we see a new opportunity to feel that the moment of joy again. Do we want to say, oh, here's something else new and shiny, and I want to get this, and because those joys are, are fleeting, and they only last for a season, and then we see something else, and we want to go after it because we want to have that feeling of joy and fulfillment. But it only lasts four seasons. We can't sustain that cycle over and over again. You know, if you combine all the self-storage facilities in the United States, it would almost be the size of, of Las Vegas, which is about 83.3 square miles. Not only do we feel the, the, the drive to buy new things, we have, we have a hard time of letting them go. That's why we have lots and lots of storage facilities here in the United States. 83 miles worth of storage facilities. Thinking about material things can be a distraction from the things that really matter. It's sort of a crazy cycle, one that can hurt us and, and our, it can hurt our careers. It can affect our marriages, our relationships with our kids, our hopes and our dreams. And can even keep us from doing what God really wants us to do when we're so focused on the material things and the possessions that we so desire. Jesus, uh, Jesus warns about this behavior. Now, we're, we're going to be in several different passages of Scripture today. We're not, not one sort of book or, or, or a set of verses. But in this first verse, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, Jesus said this, do not store for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store for yourselves store, uh, treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now you may ask him, what's a vermin? Vermin is just like this, this, uh, this little uh, creature that comes in and, 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 uh, and kind of eats up the crops and, and uh, scurries on back into, the, uh, back into the wild. And so this, this verse right here talks about how we try to store up things and how 
it just goes to ruin where people steal or it just fades away. You know, personally, I don't want my heart to be in a storage unit full of forgotten boxes. Because Jesus said, where, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if our treasure is in some storage room or, or maybe in a basement somewhere like ours is or an attic, then, then our hearts are just in a storage facility or just in a box somewhere. We don't want to treat our possessions like that. So we're currently in a series called Make Space. And it's all about discovering the keys to helping, more, helping us have more space in our finances so we can live the life that God has called us to. It's hard to make space if we're constantly bringing more into the room of our lives with, with possessions. One of the biggest ways we can make this sort of space in our lives is to learn to limit the power of, the, of, of more in our life. We have this sort of pull for more things in our life. We see it all over the place. More, whether we see it in the ad or, or maybe somebody else has it, people are talking about it. And it's like, I want that, I want the latest, I want this. And so we have this sort of more pull. And so one of the biggest ways, again, we can make this sort of space in our lives is to learn how to limit that. Now, last week, we learned that everything we have belongs to God. Everything we have belongs to God. And that God just wants us to be good managers of his stuff. It's not our stuff. He wants us to be good managers of his things. Lord, this is your car. This is your house. This all belongs to you. And we need to be good managers of that. And I encourage you to listen to that message on our website. So this week, we're going to take a little deeper dive and ask these questions. Do I need the stuff to make me happy? Do I need stuff to make me happy? And another question is, how much stuff do I need? How much stuff do I really need? Thinking through these questions are going to help us find balance and gratitude. And gratitude and, and moderation will lead us to what is called contentment. You hear me talk about contentment almost every week, especially in our giving time. That, that when we give to the Lord, we're, he, he's able to give us that contentment with what we have. And so the gratitude will help us with that contentment. Contentment is the exit door for the cycle of consumerism. When we're caught up in the cycle of wanting more of consumerism, the exit door for that cycle of that crazy world is contentment. Contentment. And gratitude. The Apostle Paul talked about contentment in Philippians 4.12. He says this, I know what it is like to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have lived, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. That's, that's a bold statement. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So contentment is a learned skill. Now, our culture doesn't really celebrate contentment. You never really get that. It's like, oh, we're, you're content. You have everything you need. You don't need this. You don't really need this. You don't need this, this latest gadget, this, this latest phone. You could be content with what you have. No, you don't, you don't hear that at all. You hear the opposite. 
We are taught that our, our value comes from hard work and impressing others and having those things. The life is about, it, it's about me. It's very hard to think that our value might not come from what we can earn, how many hours we work, or how much stuff we have. But when we look at verses like this, what we just looked at, we see that God's word values not the status of our lives, but the way we live. God doesn't value the status of our lives and what we have, but the way we live. So how do you get that? Well, there are three mental shifts in our mind that we need to make in order to to go into contentment. So in other words, what, what I just said a few minutes ago, contentment is something that we can learn. Contentment is not something you're born with. In fact, we are all born with the opposite of contentment. Because our, 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 our desire to, to, to crave things. And so we are not born with the automatic uh, dis, uh, contentment in our lives. Oh, everything's fine. I don't need anything else. Now, I do believe that people, some people are more contented with their things than others because of their personality, absolutely. But no one in this life is fully 100% content, meaning they're not born that way. It's something that we can learn. So how do we do that? So the secret, the secret to contentment is being able to boldly live out three statements that I'm going to share with you today. Three statements. The first one is to be content. I will refuse to trade self for stuff. The first, the first way you and I can learn to be content is to refuse to trade self for stuff. Refuse to trade self for Stuff. Jesus once asked a very important question about a relationship to our stuff. He says in Mark 8, 38, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their, their soul? What good is it for someone to gain the world and forfeit their soul? While we need certain things, there, there is a point that accumulating wealth and possessions where our happiness no longer increases. We may want certain things, and we may buy certain things that make us happy, but then if we get caught up in that, that there's no way that that's going to keep up with our desire for happiness. It's, it's going to fade. The, uh, as we gain more, our concept of what a need is also changes. As we gain more, our concept of, of what a need is has changed. In, in, our, in our society, and in, in those, those who are adults in the room, and you've, you've lived a while like I have, you have seen this sort of portray out in our culture. What used to be a want is now a need. What used to be a want is now a need. Think about this. Your mobile device. <laughs> your mobile device. Remember back in the day, for, for, for someone to have a mobile phone, I mean, it was like something special. Of course, they all started off with this big, huge pack, right? And they, they, they kind of look like, you know, like someone who, who's an engineer or something like that. And, and they have to carry this pack and, uh, to charge your phone. It kind of looked a little bit goofy. But they had a, they had a phone. And then, then they had the, you know, the, the ability for these uh, little flip phones. Remember the flip phones? Some of you still may have one of those. I don't know. I need to go back to one. Make, make life simpler. But the flip phones, and then uh, you were thinking, okay, that would be really, really cool. I would want that. 
And so maybe you save up money and maybe you get, uh, you get a, a phone number and you, you get a plan and you get a little flip phone and just, it just calls people. That's it. May, then, then you were able to text people. Okay, that, that's a game changer. That's great. But texting on a flip phone takes like forever, right? And, but as we progress through the smartphone, we are now at the place where I would dare to say this, that people need a smartphone. I, I don't think I'd ever say that. Now, now, you may say, well, I don't have a smartphone. That's great. That's, that's good, actually. Some days I just want to take my phone and just throw it in a river. But we are now at a place where our culture says, in order to do this, you need a smartphone. In order to do this, you need a smartphone. In fact, we do it in our church. Okay? We, there's a QR code on your bulletin that you can scan with your smartphone. You can't really scan that with the flip phone. And so, there's, there, we have moved in our society that a, a want is also a need. And we've seen that through our culture. Indoor plumbing, indoor bathroom. Okay, my grandmother, she's still alive. She, she tells me stories of, of, of them being in the outhouse. They never had grown up. They didn't have a, a restroom in, in, inside. They were sharecroppers. And so, they, they would use an outhouse for, for, for years. And so people would want indoor plumbing. They would want a a bathroom inside their house. And now it's almost a necessity, okay? Unless you have, you know, little boys and they could just go wherever, right? Off the back porch. We've seen that in our house. So we have this sort of, this sort of mixed up feeling that, that, that our wants, what used to be our wants, are, is now a need. So what drives our needs? What, are we, what, what drives the need behind wanting certain things? First of all, we, we feel like we're pressured to be successful. We're pressured to be successful. We feel like we've got to uh, drive a certain car or we've got to feel like we've got we've to wear certain clothing or Again, have certain devices, have certain computers. I love, I'm a gadget guy. I love my gadgets. And, and I'm thinking, you know, without certain gadgets, I won't, I won't be successful. And obviously, we're in, a, we're in a society now where you almost need a computer. Again, that was a want. Now it's a need. And so, the, um, we feel like we need to be be uh, successful. Another thing is we feel we, we have a, uh, we're afraid of being ridiculed by our peers. We're afraid of being ridiculed by our, by our peers. This, this is especially with our students and kids who are, who are in uh, middle school and high school. There's certain things that their friends have that if they don't have it, it's like, yeah, I don't have it. I mean, not all of our kids got, you know, received the phone and, you know, in, as a sixth grader in, in middle school, there some of our kids that we waited a little bit longer. And it really depends on the kid, depending on their, their, uh, their ability to be responsible. And we really kind of waited to the point to where we had to get in touch with them because maybe they had some after-school things. But they would come home and tell us, you know, all my friends have a phone. Every single one of them. They have, a, they have an iPhone or Android, and, and I don't have a phone. We're like... Okay, I mean, but you're, you're taken care of. It's okay. 
But they kind of felt this sort of pressure of being ridiculed by their peers because they didn't have that. Our guys, you know, you're out there pushing the lawnmower in your yard, and the guy next to you has the riding lawnmower. And you're like, man, I'm sitting there pushing when I should be riding. And, and, and that, that's just, I don't want him to look at me thinking, you know, why don't I get something my yard is big enough? So why? Why don't I get one of those things? We also, we feel like we aren't, an, we aren't enough without having certain things. We feel like our value is in certain things. So that sort of drives it. And then it gets, we get to the point to where we're, we're unhealthy and we're almost to the point of being envious of what people have because we don't have it. Yo, I'm, I've been there with certain things. There's some things I'd love to have, but I'm not supposed to get it. I don't need it right now. As long as, as, long as you confuse your self-worth with your net worth, you're always chasing the next dollar. If you're, conf- if you're confusing your self-worth with your net worth, with what, what you have or your possessions, you're always going to be chasing the dollar. Our worth is not based upon our value, our, our, of, of our possessions. It's not based upon the value of what we have. And I know most of you know that. I know that. But how often do we forget? How often do we forget that our that our self-worth is not based upon our net worth. When I was growing up, our family didn't have much money. And we had, we had several cars in our family. It seemed like, you know, every few months my dad would buy an old used car. And, and there, were, there were cars. I've shared stories like this before um, here at church. But there, we've had cars that, you know, the hood blew off in the middle of the interstate. And dad just, my dad didn't bother to put it back on. And I was a car rider in middle school. You know what the damage that did to me? That did lots of psychological damage. I'm going to snap one day just because of all, everything I had to go through in middle school. You know, but I just wanted a car with a hood. I wanted a family car with a hood. You know, all my friends had a family car with a hood. And so it made me feel like nothing. It made me feel devalued. When my dad comes driving up with the exhaust, you know, because the car needed the tune-up, with the big exhaust and, 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 and everything and making smoke and there's no hood. And I was just like, I don't want to get into this car. I don't want to, I just want to say, I don't know this man. I just, of course, I had to get in because I was obedient, you know. I was a good son, if my brother is listening. So, we easily can confuse our, net, our, our, our self-worth with our net worth. This is clearly not a wise way to live. In fact, uh, it's a meaningless life as we see in Ecclesiastes 4, 4 through 6. So in other words, I'm going to be in several different passages because money, uh, money is all over the place in Scripture. Okay? And so, um, but this right here, look at uh, Ecclesiastes 4, 4 through 6. And I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. So the, 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 the writer 
of Ecclesiastes, which biblical scholars say it's uh, King Solomon, he gives wise counsel in this. And he gives, you know, he, he shows us how it is. And this person, it's all envious whenever we look at some things that other people have, and it's envious, and we, we confuse our self-worth with our net worth. You know, it's good to want to provide for your family and have enough to be a blessing to others, yet there's a big difference between working and wearing ourselves out with work. So what motivates us to work and what priority we give work is what is really, really critical. God wants us to have equal measure of hard work and peace in our lives. So God is, God, God wants us to work. I mean, he put Adam to work. As soon as he created Adam, he's like, hey, welcome. You're, you're the first guy I've created. And uh, so here's what I need you to do. Here's your assignment. Welcome to your first day of work. I need you to, I need you to take care of the garden and I need you to name the animals. And that's a big task. Name all the animals. And so he went to work. That was his job. He probably didn't clock in and clock out, but he, it was a job. He did it. So God values work. God values work. In, in Genesis, it tells that God worked. He worked for six days, and the seventh day he rested. And so it, it's not that God doesn't want us to work because that's good, but he wants a balance between work and peace. There is a balance here somewhere. And how often do we get that confused where we're trying to work and work and work to keep up with what we have or maybe what we want? And God is saying, look, I just want you to have have balance. When we find ourselves caught in the cycle of work to, to consume, we're our paycheck never seems to go far enough and the work never seems to end. It's really important to pause and ask a really important question. What is the most important thing? Why am I doing this? What is the most important thing? Why am I doing all this stuff? Do my work and possessions bring me an equal measure of peace? Does my work and possessions bring me an equal measure of peace? Think about what effort you bring to your job, to where you work, and think about the things that you have or the things you, just think about the things you have right now. Is there peace? Is there balance with that? So if you find that you don't have the answers to some of those questions, it might mean that it's time to change some things in your life. Um, some of those changes could be we need to prioritize what's important. We need to maybe do less overtime and more family time. Maybe, it may mean that in order to have balance, we do something more of what we like, not something that drives us and drives us. Um, we need to prioritize with what we do, with what we have. The, the resources that God has given to us, we need to prioritize what we do with what we have. And that is sort of the beginning of balance. God just wants us to walk in balance. And, and there are many days, you may feel the same way as I do, but there are many days that I, I'm just like, I'm off balance, big time. Susanna and I have many conversations where it's just like, okay, what, why, we, why am I doing this? What, you know, and I'm, I'm a pastor. You think, well, gosh, Frank, you're, you're, you're doing things for God. <laughs> of course. Yeah, yes, but, it, but it's still... It's still work. 
it still can be very consuming. So why do I do this outside of my calling? Why do I do this? Is it to gain these possessions? Is it, is it to gain more? And if there's, and there's that balance, then what does that look like? What does that balance look like? Prioritizing some of the things that we do with, with, our, with, our, with our possessions and then also doing something that you like. So we need to ref, refuse to trade who we are for the stuff that we want or the stuff that we have. We need to, we need to refuse to trade in who we are for the stuff that we have or the stuff that we want. So to be content, there, there are three statements. The first statement, to be content, is I will refuse to trade self for stuff. That was the first one. Here's the second one. To be content, I will use money and not chase it. I will use money and not chase it. We see, um, we see this verse in 1 Timothy 6.10. He's the Apostle Paul saying, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. That's a, that, look at the last part of that, that, that scripture. Some people eager for money, eager for money, more money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It's so powerful, the pull of money and the pull of possessions is so powerful, it could cause us to wander from the faith. That is very, very powerful. The pull is like strong gravitational force. We always have to be aware of that. So here, here's an important statement through this. It, it, the important statement is this, money is not the problem. <laughs> money is not the problem. The Bible actually says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Just like it says there in that, that passage in 1 Timothy 10, uh, 6.10. The, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. God is not anti-money. <laughs> he knows that having money to take care of your needs both is a necessity and a blessing. He longs to bless us. There's nothing wrong with making money. Making money would be enable you to save more, give more, and to do more good in the world. So the real problem, the real problem is the love of money. The love of, of money to buy certain possessions or to keep up with what you have. What God is concerned about is not us having money, but our money having us. He's not concerned with us having money. He's concerned with our money having us. Our money ruling, ruling over us. That is his greatest concern for our lives. He doesn't want us to fall in love with money. How many of you know someone who did something stupid because they were blinded by a desire to get some money? God wants us to help us to avoid that, that blind desire. So he cautions us to make sure we don't fall in love with money. So the root of all evil is not money. It's a love of money. You know, money, money promises a lot. It promises to, to fix our problems. No wonder there's a love for money. We, we have these problems. Well, money will fix it, we think. Money will fix everything. How many of you have ever thought, man, if I could just pick the right six numbers of the lottery, man, my troubles would be over. <laughs> 
I've thought that. See, Lord, I'm going to fast and pray until you give me the six numbers. I've never done that. But I've thought that. Lord, just, you know, imagine what I could do with all of these millions of dollars. Lord, I'll give it to you, Lord. But we think that's going to solve everything. It's just going to bring more problems. Because we trust in money. We're going to get into that in a little bit. We trust in money. We start to think that having more money to fix everything will, will cause all of our problems to go away. Money just, it doesn't guarantee happiness. We're bombarded with ads and, and certain messages and our culture that communicates money will make you happy. If that were true, then the wealthiest people would be the happiest people. The wealthiest people would be the happiest people. And that is just not the case. I, I know a lot of happy people, very content people, who don't have hardly anything at all. I went to, uh, several years ago, I've been to several mission trips around the world. And in fact, we are we're in the early stages, elders and I had a, uh, one of our uh, meetings yesterday. One of the things we're talking about is um, we would love to uh, have a, a particularly a men's uh, mission trip and and, and obviously, you know, we can have one for men and women and, and students and that kind of stuff. But this one in particular, we'd like to have the men uh, go and, and, and do something um, more internationally. Um, but I've, one of the best places I've been to uh, was Nicaragua. And we shared the gospel um, around from, from, from hut to hut to hut. And we shared the gospel. And, and the joy and the happiness that, was, that were on people's faces when you walked in. Now, listen, the, their houses were, were, were literally straw roof homes. And it was dirt floors. And, and, and I remember the, 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 the mom and the family, she'd get this, you know, this broom and, and sweep the dirt floor. I'm like, I think, I think there's still dirt there. You know, but she's just making it as nice as possible. And she's, she's singing, she's humming, she's smiling because of what she has. Some of the most content people I've ever met live in a hut, live in something like that. So the wealthiest people in the world aren't the happiest. And we know that, but sometimes it's good to see that. Money also does it bring peace. Money, money is not eternal. One illness, one accident, one economic downturn can reverse our security like that. All it takes, and our money is gone. Our security is gone. We think you know, piling up money is secure. Now, don't get me wrong. It's important to save. The Bible talks about that. We'll, we'll be talking more about that in, the, in this series. But, but there's nothing wrong with saving. But if our security is in that, it can be gone like a twinkling of an eye. And we think, we think our peace is in it. Peace is something that we are granted as a gift from God. And any counterfeits we achieve through money just won't last. Money is a means, not an end. 
What matters is the power that we give money. What kind of power are we allowing to give money? Now, money doesn't come with its own power. It comes with the value, yes. But, but money, when we get money and we get, you know, whatever amount of money we give, we give it doesn't mean that it, it, it gives certain power over, over our lives. It doesn't come with that. It's just paper. Or nowadays, it's not even paper. It's just a dollar sign in your bank account. But it's what power we allow it to have. We're the ones that give the money the power. Do you know that? We are the ones that give the power to the money. And what kind of level of power of that? So, when, when, when we start to think that having a lot of money or owning a lot of stuff is some sort of silver bullet that will fix our woes, we're headed to a lot of pain. What God doesn't want us to do is put our faith in money rather than our faith in him. Our faith cannot be in money. It, it's got to be in him. Faith and money will always be very disappointing. <laughs> very disappointing. If you've ever been to Disney World, there's, a, there's a, a cookie shop that they put on Main Street. And as you're walking down the Main Street of, of Disney World, you have, this, you have this smell of cookies that's coming from the bakery right there on Main Street. And, and the smell of cookies, it, it draws people into the cookie place. Why? So you could buy cookies for $5 a cookie or whatever they cost. And so lots of people come in there because they, they smell the cookie. They're like, oh, yes. And it's that same smell when you, when you put cookies in the oven. And you walk around and say, oh, whoa, somebody's cooking. Somebody's baking cookies or brownies or something good. That smells really good. And so people go into this shop and, and, they, and they purchase cookies based on the, on the smell. Well, what we don't realize, maybe you not realize this, is that Disney... They have this sort of cookie scent that they pipe in through, like through vents from the shop into, and they blow it out onto the street. No lie, this, this is true. And, and they, they have this sort of cookie scent smell that they push in through vents, and, and, and it helps people to, oh, yeah. Well, one day, it's a true story, one day the, the cookie bakery uh, oven was was broken, so they couldn't make any cookies. But here's the problem. They forgot to turn off the scent machine. And so people were walking along Main Street. It's like, oh, wow, cookies. And so they would, they would go into the cookie shop and say, hey, we want cookies. We're like, uh, we're not making any cookies. We don't have any cookies. And people were disappointed in that. They're like, what? You don't have cookies. We want cookies. We smell cookies. They forgot to turn off the scent machine. Money's kind of like that. It sort of draws us in. So when we get there, it's like, okay, we want, we want fulfillment. Like the cookies, we want fulfillment. But money's like going, oh, no, you're not going to find fulfillment here. You're not going to find fulfillment here. Money doesn't bring peace. Money does not bring peace. If you want peace in your life, You've got to go to the one who provides everything and what we learned last week, the one who owns everything we have because everything we have belongs to God.
Now, I do want to say this as a quick little announcement. We are offering a free money workshop. Now, this workshop is just, is just one class, but we're giving you three opportunities, three, three ways, uh, uh, times that you can go be a part of this. And, and it's called More Than Money because it's about more than money. It's deeper than that. And so one of our elders, um, Sean, uh, is going to be um, teaching this class. And there's three different classes. One is this coming Wednesday. And we'd love for you to participate in that. And you can sign up for that. Wednesday, and I think there's one next Sunday morning and next Sunday night. We would love for you to sign up for that. It's easy. It's free. There's materials you get. And, and Sean is ready. He's already got the uh, presentation ready to go. He's excited. And so we'd love for you to sign up. And the way you can sign up for that is to go to that uh, thing that, uh, that our host, uh, Reverend Jamerson, we're talking about, lakepointonline.com forward slash connect. If you go there, you could just find that more than money, and you could sign up, and there's a quick little just first name. Give us your first name and phone number, and you can sign up for that. So even if you don't attend our church, there's some people who are listening online. Whether you're listening live or later, you can go ahead and sign up for that, and we will follow up with that. But we're just trying to offer all of us. My wife are going to attend one as well. We're trying to something to offer all of us to learn more about more, uh, more than money. So that workshop is happening. So to be content, we learned the first thing is I will refuse to trade self for stuff. And to be content, the second phrase was I will use money, not chase it. I will use money. There's nothing wrong with money. It's the love of money. It's the chasing of money that is the problem. And then the third one, to be content, I will enjoy what I have. And I believe this is one of the, this is the stronger of the three. I will enjoy what I have or what God's given me. Appreciation for what we already have is as important as controlling our desire to always have more. Let me say that statement again. An appreciation for what we already have is just as important as controlling our desire to always have more. Being appreciative of what we have. This ability to enjoy what we have is actually a gift from God. God wants us to see this. Check out Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 5.19 says this. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. This is God's gift to us. When we, as it says, have the ability to enjoy them, Enjoying what you have is very powerful in gaining contentment. Gaining contentment. This sounds so simple, but surprisingly difficult. We either are too driven by by achieving the next thing that we don't want to, to pause. We feel like we don't deserve, or maybe we feel like we don't deserve what we have. But it's so, so difficult. Have you ever gotten something really, really special from someone and you kind of put it away for that, that, certain, that certain day? Like say, say if, if someone 
got you a, a friend of yours got you a really nice outfit. So think, ladies, a, a really nice outfit. And one of your best friends took you shopping, and they, they got you this dress or this outfit. And you go, I'm going to wait, and I'm going to save that for a special occasion. So you put it up, and, and you save it in, in a special pl- place, and maybe in the back of your closet. And then what happens? You forget about it. You forget about it. And then you have special moments. Special moments. Oh, yeah, I should have worn that dress. That, that would have been a great, just been a great opportunity to wear that dress. God doesn't want us to treat the good things in our life this way. He wants us to see them, appreciate them, and enjoy them in the moment. When we stop waiting for the right time, we're always, we, we are able to be content in the moment with what we have. We need to be content in the moment that we have. So how do we tap into this gift that God wants to give us? How do we tap into this? The key word is gratitude. Simple word, gratitude. Now gratitude could be, could be difficult for, to come by, but can also be simple. If we're intentional about gratitude, It changes our hearts from wanting the next thing to focusing on what's right in front of us in the moment. It drains the energy out of our greed and gives new vitality and joy to what's at hand. It's more than just a general feeling of of thankfulness that springs up in our hearts from time to time. Often, when things are going well, we are very grateful. Things are going well, we are very grateful. But when things start going south, when things start breaking, when things just aren't working right, we sort of don't have this gratitude. We have this, this sort of this bad attitude. The kind of gratitude we're talking about here today is intentional gratitude. To be intentional. How to be intentional? Start asking God to help you. Lord, help me to have a, an attitude of gratitude. You can start the day off like this. Lord, help me to see the things that are right in front of me, the thing I'm driving today, the things that I'm wearing today, to be grateful for what I have. Lord, help me to be that way. And If you pray that, I believe God will help you. Start by thanking God for every good thing. Thank him that you woke up today. (laughs) Thank you, Lord, for waking me up today. I have another day. Thank him for for you're able to get around. Thank him for the, the food you eat. Thank him for the people in your life. For someone who can be accountable to and to start each conversation by sharing things that are grateful for. Share this with, with your spouse or, or, or a good friend. So It's so easy to go towards a conversation that ends up in, in just grumbling, complaining. Oh, this is, this is not working. This is not right. You know, our, our car's not working or this is, you know, this, this is not this is not what, what we need to have in our life. And, or we need to have more. We need to have something that works. We need to have this and that. 
We just end up complaining and grumbling. God is like, look, just take the very things that are in life that I've given you and just be grateful for that. And y'all, that's difficult sometimes. I'm, I'm telling you right now as, as, as your friend, as your pastor, you know, it's, it's difficult. But if we can learn to be grateful for what God has given to us today, just be grateful, then, then I believe the contentment will begin to, to overtake us and that we will be able to rest in that and have peace in our life. One of the things that God is teaching me as I close, one of the things that God has been teaching me lately is the it's a spiritual, biblical truth of, of daily bread. Daily bread. If you remember the Israelites, whenever they were wandering in the desert for 40 years, what did God provide them every day? He provided them manna. He provided them a, a daily bread. But that manna, as you read that, that story in that section of the Bible, you realize that the manna, didn't last. It didn't last for 24 hours. And so it would spoil. It would rotten. And so they would try to save it, but it's, it's unsavable. And so what did they have to do? Every morning, they had to go out to the field, the manna field, and they had to go out there, and they had to get more manna that God provided. And so all of these, you know, millions of people would... would Go out there, and, and, and manna would just be all around the camp uh, site where they were, and, and, and God would provide it, and they would come in, and they would bring it in, and, and they had what they needed for that day. And guess what? The next day, they would go out. I think what God wanted to teach them at that moment is this, look, I need you to understand, you need to come to me for your daily bread. You need to come to me for your daily bread. And it was an important lesson for those little children, those little Israelite children who would one day be the ones who would be walking around the walls of Jericho. Look, you need to learn every day, all that I have, all that you have belongs to me, and that you need to come to me every day because I'm going to take care of it. I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. And that's all in that story of Joshua. But before all of that, God had to teach him. Come to me every day for what you have, what you need. I will provide it. What are we trying to substitute instead of God with our daily bread, with our need? If there's something in your life that you're like, Lord, I just, I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. Go to him for provision. Go to him. He will provide it. Trust in him. Or it could be the opposite. It could be the opposite spectrum, and you could be someone who's like, Lord, I've, I, I've got everything I need, everything I can take because of, of what you've given to me. But God said, look, all that can go away in a second. I still need you to come to me every day. As we come before the Father, know this. He wants to provide for us, just like we provide for our children. How would you like this? If your kids go and they, they ask someone to provide for them. When my brother, who was like four years old, 
He was being, uh, he and, and, and another like two-year-old girl, I was at school, they were at home and, and they had a babysitter. My mom and dad were working and they had a babysitter. But the babysitter fell asleep. And so my brother decided, well, we're hungry. And so he, my brother took this, this two-year-old two year girl and, and they walked across a highway to the McDonald's. <laughs> and they told McDonald's that, that the, his family, is, they're not feeding him. And that they're hungry and they need to eat. So McDonald's said, well, yes, we're going to feed you. And, of course, they called their local authorities and they found out who it belongs to. Of course, the police showed up. Of course, you know, I'm just, after school, I'm sitting in the living room going, man, I love this. This is great. My brother's gone, right? He's forever banished, you know, from our family. But, but of course, my mom and dad was like, son, what would, what would get into you? Why would you do that? Do you know that God has the same response? When you and I go outside of his provision to someone else or even our own needs, God is going, why would you do that? I have given you everything you need. Look in front of you. Have gratitude for what I've given you. And the biggest thing he's given to us of all the possessions of, above everything else was his son Jesus. He gave us Jesus, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We have everything in him. And you and I can choose to have Jesus live in our life and be our daily bread. So as we close, every head bowed, every eye closed, if if you're in a place in your life where you just need to be more grateful, you need to be, you need to, just commit to the Lord. Lord, I, I, I want to start each day by being grateful. Maybe you need to say that prayer to him right now. Just say, Lord, forgive me for not being grateful. Not being grateful. I, I know I complained this week about this, and, but Lord, I'm sorry for that. Help me to be grateful. Help me to go to you for that daily bread. And if you're sitting here today or watching online and, and you're like, you know, Frank, I, I've not received that that most important gift of his son, Jesus. So if that's you, you could just commit your life to him right now just by saying, Jesus, I'm sorry for the things I've done. I, I believe in you. I want you to come live inside me. Come be Lord and Savior of my life. I, I may not know what that ultimately looks like, but I know this, I, I'm empty. And I keep chasing after things that are fleeting. And I need to have you as a source of my daily bread. So just receive him in your life and your heart. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the word you've given to us today. Help us all to be more grateful. Help us all to understand that contentment is the exit door of not having peace in our life. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that that peace would ultimately come from you and that we would not be caught up in the possessions, and wanting more and more. We just need you. So, Lord, as we come to you every day for that daily bread, give us that contentment. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, just a quick reminder. 
We want you to make sure you sign up for that More Than Money workshop. Go to that uh, website I mentioned earlier. And uh, we have two more weeks of this. You don't want to miss next week. Um, It's good stuff. I know it's very practical things. But know this. The money and the possessions that God has given to you, he wants you to use them, not your money to use you. He wants you to enjoy them. So get out there and enjoy that. And as you do that, while you're enjoying that, be grateful for all the chairs that God has given to us as we stack them 10 high. Amen? All right. Love you guys. We'll see you all next week. Thank you.